So I wanted to start with a little review from last week. Uh, who remembers who we were talking about? Who remembers uh, who the main character of the story was last time? Just shout it out when you know. Philip. Yes. Thank you. Philip. And where was Philip sharing the gospel? Where did he go? Samaria. All right. Yes, Philip went to Samaria to share the gospel. All right, so been introduced to a lot of different characters. Uh, this morning, we're going to be considering more about Philip and his uh, life of sharing the gospel. But I also want to bring your attention to somebody that we talked about uh, a few weeks even before that. Robert Murray McShane, exactly. Uh, and this morning, we're going to consider another Scottish man who lived a long time ago. Just started out another Scottish man, not Robert Murray McShane, but a man by the name of John Harper. A man by the name of John Harper. John Harper was born in Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, he was born in 1872. Uh, his parents were Christians, and he became a Christian himself at the age of 14. Uh, by the time he was 17, he was so enamored with the gospel that he just had to share it with everybody he possibly could. So he went to the streets and just pleaded with people, sharing the gospel with them, sharing the good news. Uh, as he grew, he worked at a mill by day, but he couldn't fight this evangelistic urge. And so uh, he was an evangelist by night, mill worker by day, evangelist by night. Eventually, he became a church planter, actually, in 1896. He started with a little group of 25 people, and uh, the Lord grew that group to over 500. John Harper had many brushes with death throughout his life. At the age of three, he fell into a well. Uh, was rescued by his mom and resuscitated by his mother. Uh, at age 26, he was pulled out to sea by a riptide, uh, almost drowned. At the age of 32, he was on a leaking ship in the Mediterranean, had another brush with death. Uh, those around him shared that these brushes with death only gave him more zeal for evangelism, only uh, pushed him further to share the gospel. His wife passed away uh, early in their marriage, but they were blessed to have one daughter. He became a well-known evangelist, both through the church's growth and just because he just couldn't escape from this evangelistic zeal, as I mentioned. And so eventually, he was invited to go to Moody Church in Chicago. And so Harper, along with his daughter, uh, boarded a ship in Southampton, England, uh, to go to America. Now what we know happened next, we know from a few different sources. One source being his daughter, uh, who was six at the time. Uh, and lived to uh, die in 1986. Uh, she remembers being woken up in the middle of the night uh, by her father, saying that they had hit an iceberg. Uh, but the rescue boat was coming, but just to be safe, uh, she was going to go on a life, uh, one of the life rafts with an older cousin who was with them. And the story that happens next we know well, many of us, Right? The boat that they were on was the Titanic. And so this uh, daughter, John Harper's daughter and an older cousin survived, but John Harper did not. Right. There's multiple stories of this man uh, from this experience on the Titanic. Some say uh, he found them without a life jacket and he gave up his life jacket for them. Uh, other stories of him walking up and down the deck, uh, yelling and screaming, Women and children and the unsaved to the lifeboats. Most famously, uh, there was a story that was unknown for some time, but it came out of a prayer meeting in none other than Hamilton, Ontario. 
uh, where a man stood up in tears and told the story of where he heard the gospel, told the story of his conversion. He shared that he was on the Titanic that night, that he was one of the many who were clinging to a piece of floating debris after the ship went down. He said this, Suddenly, a wave brought a man near, John Harper. He too was holding a piece of the wreckage. He called out, Man, are you saved? No, I am not, I replied. He shouted back, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore Harper away. But a little later, he was watched back beside me again. Are you saved now? No, I answered. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Then losing his hold of the wood, Harper sank. And there, alone in the night with two miles of water under me, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I am John Harper's last convert. It's a powerful story. Powerful story. And it may leave you feeling a few different things. It may leave you feeling inspired. It may leave you feeling discouraged. Uh, it may leave, leave you feeling inadequate. I don't know if you can relate, but often I feel like a reluctant evangelist. Sometimes not an evangelist at all. Maybe there's people that you work with, uh, people that you go to school with, friends, neighbors, even your own family who don't know the gospel. Or maybe they know the Bible, but, but they don't know what it, what it means or what it means for them. And I know it's scary to think, but I think I want to be a lot like John Harper. So let me pray, and we'll dive into God's word. Father, I pray that you would convict us by your word, uh, that we would be encouraged uh, by your word, by this example that we look, up, uh, look at of Philip, the evangelist. Father, give us eyes to see those in our lives that need to hear this good news, and give us the boldness to proclaim it. Father, equip us by your spirit to be evangelists, in every waking minute. So Father, we thank you for the gospel, for what you've done um, in so many of our lives and uh, what you're going to do in the future. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we went from our review, uh, we're talking about Philip this morning. He lived his life sharing the gospel. Uh, at the end of Acts, or near the end of Acts, uh, Luke writes this, On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. This is the only other time that Philip is mentioned in the book of Acts. Uh, we talked about him uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about him last week, we talked about him this week, and then there's a 20-year break. And then this is the report that we get, Philip the Evangelist in Caesarea. Philip dedicated his life to sharing the gospel. A number of weeks back, we looked at a guy named Barnabas. He had a nickname. Does anyone off the top of your head remember what his nickname was? Dan's not allowed to answer. Does anyone remember? 
Son of encouragement. Yes. Right? He had a nickname. He was known for something. Philip, he's got a nickname. He's known for something. He's Philip the Evangelist. I imagine this Philip guy was a lot like John Harford. Right? Everything Luke writes about him, he's sharing the gospel. Everything you read about John Harper, he's sharing the gospel. Now, he lived, Philip lived and breathed the gospel, but does that mean he had some elite status? I would argue no. He had a special zeal. He was certainly faithful to Jesus' command to go and share the good news with the world. But today we're going to look at a breakdown of what evangelism is in this passage and what that means for us today. Uh, so when we think of that person or those people that popped into your head, your neighbors, friends, coworkers, family, uh, we can be equipped by God's word uh, to show and share Jesus' love with them. And so our big idea this morning, if you only hear one thing, is this. Love people, share the gospel, trust God. Love people, share the gospel, trust God. Say it. Love people. Share the gospel. Trust God. All right. You've retained it. All right. So when I quiz you next week, we're going to get some more participation. Love people. Share the gospel. Trust God. So if you're a Christian today, that's, that's what we're talking about. If you're not a Christian here today, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, you picked a really good Sunday to be here. Uh, we're going to look at... Uh, the example of a man named Philip, but we're also going to be looking at, at an Ethiopian official uh, who chooses to commit his life uh, to Jesus. So let's read God's word together. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there. Let's hear God's word. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south. To the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation. For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, there is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, 
And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is God's word. And so we have talked about many times Jesus' commission uh, to his followers. In Acts 1.8, we kind of get the mission statement of the book of Acts. The Great Commission, uh, at the end of Matthew, most famously, uh, he commands Christians to go make disciples, share the gospel. Now, that's a good motivator, being commanded by the king of the world. But we also see another motivator here. Evangelism requires a love for the lost. Evangelism requires a love for the lost. Now, what we know about Philip, we know uh, from, again, a few different chapters here in the book of Acts. We see that he's a man of good reputation. We see he's full of the spirit and wisdom in Acts chapter 6. Right? Those were the qualifications that the apostles set out to appoint uh, these proto-deacons, these servants of the church. And so we know he's a character guy, he's a quality guy, but we see that too in the role that he was appointed to. Mercy ministry. Right? Took humble service. He was a compassionate service to help serve the widows that were being neglected, that were in need. And so before we learn anything about Philip, we know he's a solid dude, right? He's a man of character, and he's a compassionate servant. He loves people. We also see when the church is dispersed, when the church is scattered at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, we see that he's one of that number. And we see that he preaches in Samaria to the Samaritans. We talked about last week the Samaritans and the Jews, they they were not buddies, right? Philip wasn't walking out and saying like, oh, look at this warm welcoming committee, right? He was going to people you wouldn't think to go to and share the gospel. We also see he is a word and deed ministry that we looked at last week, a word and deed ministry, right? Performing miraculous acts, showing mercy and compassion, but also sharing the gospel, A lot like Jesus' earthly ministry. A lot like the apostles' ministry. And we see he has that word and deed ministry to paralytics, right? To those that have unclean spirits, to those who are lame. So these are people of a low social class, but he loves them enough to share the gospel with them. In today's passage, in verse 30, I love how Luke describes this. It says, He ran to the Ethiopian. He ran to him. He was eager. He was obedient. I love that description. I picture, I don't know, maybe this illustration is too disconnected in Canada, but I'm sure many of us have seen the footage of Chick-fil-A restaurants in the States of someone forgets something in the drive-thru, and you see just the incredible service of one of their staff sprinting after the car to catch the vehicle, right? That's service. They care so much that they're going to chase down a car. I'm picturing Philip, uh, sandals and all, just booking it after this chariot. Right? I love that description. And why run? He doesn't know this guy, but he's obedient. And he knows one thing. He knows he needs the gospel. Right? These racial barriers. Right? This man was an African. Right? The gospel had not made it that far. That wasn't standing in the way. The ethnic divisions of uh, the Samaritans, that wasn't enough to stop them. The humble service of serving 
the widows, the neglected widows. That wasn't enough to stop him. He loves the crowds. He shares the gospel with the Samaritans. uh, And he loves the individual. He goes to this Ethiopian official. I've shared this quote before, but I find it helpful. It's a good reminder. Mark Dever says this. According to the Bible, good motives for evangelism are a desire to be obedient, a love for the lost, and a love for God. Good motives for evangelism are a desire to be obedient, a love for the lost, and a love for God. So we see the perfect example of this in Philip. And so I have a question for you this morning. Do you love people enough to share the gospel with them? Or do you love your reputation and your comfort more? Who popped into your head? Who are you thinking of that you know you need to share the gospel with? Do you love them enough to do it? Right? We have the best news ever. Right? Imagine you had a stack, an endless stack of lottery tickets. Right? And you could give it to anyone you wanted. Right? And every time you took one, another one slotted underneath the stack. Right? You'd think you'd be pretty willing to share that with people. Our news is a million times better than a lottery ticket. Do you love people enough to share the gospel with them? And so Philip, again, gives us such a good picture of loving those uh, of the Samaritans, of a low social class. And this Ethiopian who's kind of a big deal, right? He's uh, in some ways like the minister of finance to the Ethiopian queen. So we see this spectrum. He just loves the lost enough to share the gospel. Now, it isn't only love for the lost. It's also being obedient to the Spirit's leading. That's our second point, following the Spirit's leading. Now, the way Luke writes this, we can see the whole thing is saturated with the Holy Spirit's leading. Right? Verse 26, right? Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Right? He's seeing revival in Samaria. Things are happening. Right? There's a bit of uh, tension going on with Simon, the magician. Those magicians. Right? But we see big things happening. Revival in Samaria. He said, no, go to the desert. Like, what? Go to the desert. So we see the spirits lead. Verse 29 the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Right? An explicit command. And so again, what does Philip do? He chases down the chariot, the ancient equivalent of a limo or a private jet. Chases it down. Right? And so what do we know about this guy? As I said, he was something like the minister of finance to the Ethiopian queen. Now this is not modern day Ethiopia. This would be southern Egypt, northern Sudan. But they're in Africa, North Africa. That's where we're talking about that he's from. We also know that he was a eunuch. Now this could just mean that he was a court official. Uh, Most likely and most generally accepted that he was a castrated male who was a court official of very high status. We know he's a God-fearer. We know that he was going to Jerusalem to worship. Now, if this was the case, that he was a eunuch, uh, which Luke writes that he is, he would not be able to enter the inner courts of the temple in Jerusalem. 
uh, according to Jewish law. And so maybe we can uh, assume that he was drawn to Isaiah's writings, because in Isaiah 56, uh, he explicitly says that eunuchs have a place in God's kingdom. They're not cut off. They're not in another category. And so little did this Ethiopian official, little did he know that he would see fulfillment that day of that promise. That he'd be welcomed into the fold, that he'd be brought into the family. And so that's a good reminder for all of us that God is at work in people's lives. God is up to something that, that we don't know and understand. Right? Think of the circumstances. This Ethiopian official happened to be going to Jerusalem, happened to be cruising back. Maybe it was like a conference on his way out. They were handing out scrolls of Isaiah. You know? Maybe he grabbed one. He happens to be reading it. Culturally, they read out loud, so he was reading out loud. He happened to be on that one desert road at just the right time when Philip went cruising by. And then picture little Jewish guy Philip's like, oh, I got to go share the gospel. Chases him down. Right? God is at work in this Ethiopian eunuch's life. And so it's a good reminder for all of us that those people that we're thinking of, God is doing the heavy lifting. God is up to something that, that we don't necessarily know or understand. Right? And so we see the Spirit's leading of Philip. Now, this can be a, an opportunity for us to kind of pull the chute and be like, well, the Spirit didn't just tell me to go share the gospel with this person. So I encourage you, don't wait until you feel so specifically led like that. We see another good example of Philip when he's dispersed. Circumstantially, he ends up in Samaria, and so what's he going to do? He's going to share the gospel. He's received the Great Commission. He knows he's a Christian. He needs to share the gospel. And so circumstances lead him to Samaria. He shares the gospel. Circumstances uh, and specific leading leads him to this road with this Ethiopian official. He shares the gospel. And so just like we talked about last week, where has God placed you uh, to show and share Jesus' love? Where has God placed you and who has he placed in your life? Because if you're a Christian, you've received that Great Commission. The command is there. With that, pray for opportunities. Pray that the Spirit would make clear uh, when those opportunities open up, uh, where they are, and when they come, be ready. Know that you need to both know the gospel and share the gospel. That's our next point. Know the gospel and share the gospel. So every single one of you, I hope that you know the gospel. If you're a Christian, it's your hope, right? It has saved you. I hope you know the gospel. If you're not a Christian, I hope you hear the gospel. I hope you've heard it, and I hope you hear it today, and I hope you hear it over and over and over. Uh, for the Christians, Greg Gilbert, in his helpful book, What is the Gospel? Which is helpful just in the title. Uh, he gives this illustration where he talks about a carpenter, how silly it would be for a carpenter to not know what a hammer is. Right? It's everything. How silly would it be for a carpenter not to know what a hammer is? He says it would be the same for a Christian to not know what the gospel is. It would be inconceivable. And so Philip gives us a good example of knowing the gospel and sharing the gospel. And so in this passage, we see a number of takeaways about what we can learn about evangelism. So if you have a pen or a pencil, I would encourage you to make notes here, right, or ingrain them in your mind. 
The first is, as we mentioned, pray. Pray for opportunities. Pray for those doors to open to share the gospel. Pray for empowerment. Right? Pray for the Spirit to give you boldness. And pray for the hearts of those lost people that you love enough to share the gospel with. That's our first one, pray. Our second is this, ask questions. Right? Philip gives us again a great example of this, verse 30. So Philip ran to him, I love that, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Right? He just throws out a question. Now, uh, the Ethiopian gives him a real softball, right? Like, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? I'm reading this passage. Who's it about? Right? You know, maybe you'll have a circumstance in your life where you'll sit down in an airplane and someone will sit next to you and just say, I'm reading this Bible. Do you understand that? I don't. So maybe you'll get a softball. That'd be great. But we learn a good lesson about asking questions here. Asking questions can lead to an opportunity. Whether it's as much of a lob up to hit out of the park or not, it's those questions that open up the doors. Now, when I say ask a question, don't think this needs to be some crazy, apologetic, evangelistic gymnastics, right? Ask honest questions. Promote, questions promote self-reflection, so prompt that. Then listen to the answers and explore them. So pray, ask questions. The next one, great example from Philip, use the Bible. Use the Bible. God has not left us hanging. He has given us his word. So we don't have to do this evangelism thing on our own. We have uh, God's very word. Now again, softball for Philip, but the Ethiopian officials reading Isaiah 53, a passage that points straight to Jesus. And he asks, who's this pointing to? So Philip takes the advantage of uh, this opportunity to share uh, what was written 750 years earlier and he walks him through it. The Ethiopian asks great questions, and then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, Isaiah 53, he told him the good news about Jesus. So Philip uses the Bible, and so you should use the Bible too. Share what God has done throughout history, and share the Bible's impact on you. And so you know what that means, I know we all know that, is that means we need to know the Bible. Right? It means we need to read the Bible. Now, does that mean that you need to know everything? No. Just because you don't know everything doesn't mean you don't know anything. And so I want to offer you a little nugget of wisdom here. Right? And it almost seems too good to be true. I don't know how many video game people are here. Uh, maybe a few video game people. So some of you would be familiar with cheat codes. Okay? So back in the day, you'd be playing and then you'd be like I can't beat this level I need a cheat code and so you'd look up I need to get I remember going to the library and getting books of cheat codes but I'm sure you just google it now uh, but anyway you get a cheat code and then you you know you type it in a b up down left right yeah or for the PlayStation people square x or whatever nonsense you click but you do a cheat code and that gives you a huge benefit you cheat All right so I'm going to give you a strategy here that is like a cheat code for evangelism you ready Ask someone to read the Bible with you. Ask someone to read the Bible with you. It almost seems too simple, but I'm serious. 
What are they going to say? No? They might. But they might say yes. Right? Maybe they say yes because they're honestly curious what the Bible says. You know? Maybe they'll say yes because they're so uncomfortable that they just don't like conflict, and they'll say yes. Hey, if God's going to use that, great. Right? But ask someone to read the Bible with you. I have a great resource for you. I've got a stack of them sitting over on that table. It's just eight weeks going through Mark's gospel. Take some key passages, and you just walk through it, ask the questions, uh, you read the passage with someone, and you just answer it. You don't need all the answers. You just work your way through it. It's just a helpful resource to equip you to share the gospel with someone, to read the Bible with someone. If you want a digital version, I can send it to you too, but come talk to me. And I honestly know it, it sounds too simple, and I know it sounds terrifying. But if God this morning is tugging at your heart, and there's someone in your mind that you know you need to share the gospel with, ask them to read the Bible with you. If you're here, and you're like, honestly, I don't really know what the Bible says, come talk to me. I'll find someone to read the Bible with you. And if, if you feel that tugging on your heart, come talk to me. Right? It's okay to be scared. It's okay uh, for it not to be as easy as it seems like for John Harper, but come talk to me. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to encourage you. I'd love to uh, pair you up with someone that could mentor you. I'd love to give you whatever helps I can. But like Philip, use the Bible. So pray, ask questions, use the Bible. I forgot to put ask questions on the screen. Sometimes I make mistakes that you notice, and then you'll pay attention. The next point, again, Philip nails, clearly share the gospel. Clearly share the gospel. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Know the gospel. Share the gospel. Be ready to give people the reason for the hope that you have. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And so an honest question and something for you honestly to think about. Can you explain the gospel in your own words in a minute or two? Clearly, without big Christianese language. Could, can you share the gospel? It's something worth practicing. It's something worth thinking about. Find another Christian, uh, find your spouse, and share the gospel with each other. Right? It's a good reminder for Christians. You don't graduate from the gospel. Tim Keller said the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity, but the A through Z or Z of Christianity. So share the gospel with each other. Practice. Because this is the key. When we're talking about evangelism, you say, oh man, what do I do? Share the gospel. Share the gospel. J.I. Packer, in that great book that Dan uh, will have all the answers about evangelism and the sovereignty of God uh, in three or four days. Uh, oh, just kidding. But, great book. J.I. Packer says this, The way to tell whether in fact you are evangeli evangelizing is not to ask whether conversions have resulted from your witness. It is to ask whether you are faithfully making the gospel message, no, making known the gospel message. Are you sharing the gospel? So pray, 
bonus, ask questions, use the Bible, clearly share the gospel. And the next one, keep going. God uses Philip to share the gospel with this Ethiopian official. In lieu of an established church, he baptizes them right then and there. Baptism, this public declaration of faith in Jesus, an outward expression of an inward change. You may have noticed something as we read through this. It's just a little interesting nugget. There's no verse 37. Right? If you're looking at your Bibles, uh, verse 36 to 38. There's no verse 37. So the earliest manuscripts don't have verse 37 in there, uh, but other manuscripts do. Uh, it seems like it would be a very early edition if it was, and so that's why it's not included. Many of your Bibles would have a footnote. So this is right after uh, the Ethiopian official says, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And then 37 would read, And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, it's not in our uh, Bibles because it's not part of the earliest manuscripts. Um, but I just thought I should draw your attention to it. But it's important, either way, Philip was confident in this man's conversion uh, enough to baptize him. And so then what do we learn about the official? Well, the official went away rejoicing. He went away rejoicing. He's a sinner saved by grace. Uh, again, it's not in the Bible, but church history reports that this Ethiopian official went on to share the gospel in Africa, went to be an evangelist himself. Whether or not it's true, we know the gospel went to Africa. We know it spread. Another point is verse 39. It's caused some confusion. It says, Philip, uh, the Lord carried away. The spirit of the Lord carried away Philip. So was this being carried away miraculously? Maybe. Um, was it just following the spirit's lead that he's already demonstrated? Maybe. But what we do know is that Philip keeps going. He keeps sharing the gospel all the way up the coast. And as we talked about at the beginning, 20 years later, we find out that he made it to Caesarea. Right, he committed his life to sharing the gospel. Enough that he's called Philip the evangelist. And through this whole passage, uh, we see our last point, God's guiding hand, right, as we talk about in this book, evangelism and the sovereignty of God. God is in control. And so through all of the Bible, through all of history, and in this passage, we see God is at work. God does the heavy lifting of saving people's souls. Right, rest in that truth. When we're talking about evangelism, you don't have to save anybody. You need to share the gospel, but God will do the saving. In ancient times, uh, kings, they didn't have social media or email or news outlets, so they would have heralds go and share messages from them. They would share news. So they would send, I'd say, Artur, here, man, take this message. Run to the next village, share it with them. And so he would be heralding the king's message. I don't know why I got to be the king in that situation. You could hand me this, and I'll go share it. But we are heralds of the good news we are sharing the gospel. We are sharing the good news. The fact that God 
created us, and we fell so pathetically short. Right? We cannot measure up. We sin. And so we've missed the mark. That's what we talk about when we're talking about sinning. Right? We've rejected God. We've said, my way. And so we've sinned. But God, in his mercy, sent his own son, Jesus, to come live a perfect life that we could never live and die the death that we deserve to cleanse us, right, to trade all of our wrongs for his righteousness. That's good news. Right, Jesus did not stay dead. He rose from the dead on the third day, showing that God's wrath had been satisfied. And then we need to respond with that. Repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And so if you're not a Christian here this morning, and that's the first time you heard that, or if that's the hundredth time you've heard that, know that it's true. And I would love to pray with you or talk with you. Um, again, I'd love to, to connect you with someone, um, to share the gospel, and to share their story. And if you are a Christian, know that the king has handed you the scroll. Right? You are his herald. He's handed you the scroll. He's saying, go. The world needs this news. I'll take care of the heavy lifting, but share the message. Share the gospel. And I know a lot of you might be thinking, Aaron, man, it's easier said than done. You know, I'm not Philip. People don't give me a nickname of the evangelist. I'm not John Harper. I can't even share the gospel in ideal circumstances, let alone floating in the middle of the Atlantic. Right? I don't have the theological knowledge of Josiah. I don't have the gift of the gab like Ryan. I don't have the zeal and personality of Artur. Right, but you know what you do have? You have a commission. You have a command with a promise from Jesus that all authority has been given to him. Go, make disciples, and that he'll be with you always to the end of the age. And you have the message itself, the gospel, the power for salvation. Great preacher Charles Spurgeon, uh, many of you would know that name. One time he was headed to church to preach, and he was running late. And when he got there, he found his grandfather preaching. Found his grandfather preaching in his place. And this is what he writes. He says, so it happened that I reached the appointed place considerably behind time. Like sensible people, they had begun their worship and had proceeded as far as the sermon. As I neared the chapel, I perceived that someone was in the pulpit preaching. And who should the preacher be but my dear and venerable grandfather? He saw me as I came in at the front door and made my way up the aisle. And at once he said, Here comes my grandson. He may preach the gospel better than I can, but he cannot preach a better gospel. He may preach the gospel better than I can, but he cannot preach a better gospel. 
So friends, foster a love for the lost. Follow the Spirit's lead. Know the gospel. Share the gospel. Keep going no matter what the results are. And trust in God's guiding hand, knowing that it's true, some may preach the gospel better than you, but no one can preach a better gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the good news, for the gospel. Father, I pray that that would be a word um, that is so much more than a word for us, that it would really be good news. Father, for those of us that are followers of you, I pray that the gospel would saturate our hearts and lives in, in ways that it never even has before. That you would uh, renew and refresh that zeal uh, that we would go and show and share that good news with the world. Father, I pray for each of us as those faces and names pop into our minds uh, of who we need to share the gospel with, that you would give us boldness to ask questions, to use the Bible to clearly share the gospel with them and to keep going no matter what the results are. Father, I pray that you would work in the hearts of those people in our lives in those places that you've placed us. And we thank you that we can rest in the hope that you do the heavy lifting. Father, encourage our love for the lost. Give us the confidence to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Help us to know, grasp, and share the gospel and to trust you. Father, for those here that don't know the gospel or who have not committed their lives to you, I pray that you would do the work uh, in their heart. It would be your will to draw them towards you. Father, we pray all these things for your glory in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.